Welcome to the Tuesday Night Live Archives, aka The Lost Interviews. In this episode, I've unearthed and polished up a discussion I had with Paul Carrick Brunson during the beginning of the UK lockdown of the pandemic on the 2nd of April 2020. This episode is called Lessons from Billionaires. Paul shares the lessons he's learned from the likes of Enver Ugel, Oprah Winfrey, and Kobe Bryant. This is a man who has worked for someone called Enver Ugel. Now, if you don't know who Enver Ugel is, if you live in Portsmouth, you will know. If you live in Portsmouth, and you like basketball, you will know because he's uh, the major shareholder of the basketball team in Portsmouth. He's a billionaire. Um, he um, runs uh, universities, etc. He's been given awards for his contributions towards education. He's also worked for Oprah Winfrey. And I know you know who Oprah Winfrey is. Um, he's a journalist. He writes for the USA Today. He writes a column in the USA Today. He's, produ- he's executive producer TV show. He's the author of the book. It's complicated, but it doesn't have to be. Uh, he's hosted TV shows, uh, Love Town USA uh, for Oprah Winfrey Network. He's also hosted Celebs Go Dating. He's co-founder of Matchmaking Agency, a digital media show host, co-founder, a, a media company, public speaker, mentor, mentors, entrepreneurs. He's an influencer. He's a, on a board of trustee for an education company. Is the one and the only Mr. Paul <laughs> Carrick Brunson. Welcome, sir. Oh, man. Oh, man. Thank you. I love the energy. Energy was fire. Energy was fire, man. You know what, though? That is fascinating that you mentioned about uh, Enver and his ownership in, in Portsmouth. A lot of people right. don't, don't even... Uh, haven't haven't even mentioned that before, so that's right, really dope. okay. Yeah, okay. That's, that's a new. He, he just he just made that acquisition within the last few months. Um, yeah, I, I did a bit of reading. I did, I did a bit of research. <laughs> you did, you did. Well done, well done, man. It's a, it's an honor to be here. Uh, how were you finding the lockdown? Yeah. So, quite honestly, this is going to sound crazy to a lot of people. I actually like. So, one. Let me just say this. I, I mean, my heart goes out to everyone who is struggling through the lockdown. I have a lot of friends who are in the mental health space, a lot of friends who are police officers. They've been telling me about the increase in domestic violence, the increase in suicides, right? The increase in anxiety. So from that standpoint, my heart goes out to those. But I think that there's another group of us, and I fit in that, in that group, where quite honestly, I like the lockdown, right? And I think there's several reasons why. One, I'm an introvert. Okay. Secondly, is a lot of people don't realize that I am not only an introvert, but I'm but I'm shy, right? My wife is also an introvert and shy. My kids are also introverted and shy. So we're loving the fact that we're <laughs> locked in our, our flat together, you know. Uh, also, I feel more creative than I've ever been in my entire life, and I think it's just this kind of space away from the day to day grind, and so. Um, I'm finding the, you know, I'm looking at the silver lining of, of the lockdown. Right, yeah, no, that's that's very true. Everything you said about those people who are suffering, et cetera. I, I do agree, though. It's like sometimes life is so busy that you don't get a chance to just stop and think. And it's when you think that those creative juices start flowing, right, and you start to kind of get ideas. So are, are you, like, thinking of new ideas for new things that you're going to do during this time? Oh, constantly, constantly. Like I, I, I've, for the last 10 years, I've literally had 10 jobs, 
You know, you just you just named out all of these kind of roles and responsibilities I've had. You know, so right now is literally the first time that I can remember in my adult life where I have just had this much space. And the beauty of having this this much space is I'm able to now brainstorm and be been able to 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 connect with others, you know, as well, which is facilitating the brainstorm. Uh, this is in in part, you know, we I think we met you and I met literally. We connected as a result of us being locked down, yes, you know, yes. and and now I'm connected to a whole new social circle. Yours, I'm meeting all everybody else, Paul, everybody else who's on the panel this is good, right? This is good for all of us. The mm. coming together of different social circles, it makes us stronger. hundred percent. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I think um, there are so many things to think about when, when it comes to just the, the, the whole fact of how we met as well. You know, I was tuned into one of your sessions, your online sessions, and um, literally the challenge was just thrown out there. Now that everybody is locked down, actually reach out online and try to meet someone. Absolutely. And you know, and I, I literally followed that instruction. I was very happy that you replied actually, you know. <laughs> it, was, it was nice that you actually replied back and you know, just uh, so accommodating and agreeing to the interview and um, just being here today. I think that, you know, without this kind of scenario, like you said, just being able to stop and meet new people and yeah. just see, go with the flow, see where things take you. I think it's an amazing opportunity. Oh man, it, it'll take us all to the next level. Mm. So you, you're, um, I've said before, you're an author. Uh, you've authored a book. Uh, it's complicated, but it doesn't have to be. People know you as a relationship guru. Um, at this time, you're, you're, you're locked down with your family. Um, uh, you're, you're in the place. In fact, you, you, you moved to London within the last year or so. Is it a year or two years that you've been? Two years. Yeah, it's crazy. So, so we, we've been here for, we're actually, we're now going on our third year. So right. this, this June will be three years here in London, but we, we live between here, uh, New York and Washington, DC. Okay. Wow. So how are you finding it in uh, London in comparison? Man, I love London. You might have you might have me here permanently, <laughs> for real. There's there's so many things that I love about London. So many things, but I will tell you, what is probably heaviest on my heart about London is I love what I see is beginning to happen in the black community in London. And what I mean by that is I think that so my family's Jamaican. Right. Mm -hmm. So my father, my grandfather actually was a part of the Windrush generation, came over here uh, in the 1940s from Kingston. OK. And from what I knew about uh, London 10 years ago or the UK 10 years ago, black community UK 10 years ago versus what I see today is it's a lot more diverse. There's more richness. Right. You have a heavy West African contingency now. You have more uh, West Indian representation now. And. What you have now, I believe, is the jump off. It's the seeds of the next kind of uh, front of black business, right? Uh, I've connected recently with a group here, Cornerstone Partners, uh, black, uh, you know, basically, you know, private equity group. And I see the deals that 
are, are like coming through and I see w- w- what, what they're looking at doing. And these are things that 10 years ago w- was not happening here in the UK. Uh, but, but right now I, I see, I, I think it's incredible. The other part of it too is I find that the level of global awareness and intelligence here on a per capita basis mm-hmm. among black people on a per capita basis is much higher than anywhere I've seen in the world much higher than anywhere I've seen in the world. And I think it's because you have a lot of second generation West Indies, second generation West Africans who watched their parents grind. Mm. And as a result of that, have not only that same type of hustle, but they also have a high level of education and intelligence. It's similar to the United States, but 20, 30 years ago, because what you had in the United States in the black communities, you had a lot of second generation uh, at that point in time. Now you have third and fourth generation. And what's beginning to happen is you see complacency set in, you see other things set in. So I think um, it's just, it's just it's, it, this is an incredible place. It's, it's mm. an honor to be here. Well, and we're definitely happy to have you here. So um, hopefully you will stay. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I, I did speak about in the introduction um, some of the things that you've done in your career, right? Working for billionaires. Um, some people may have seen your YouTube clips as reference to that, the articles you've written. Um, but I'd like you to talk to us because a lot of my audience, you know, these are people who are either wanting to start things up, uh, they're on the grind, they're, they're, they're trying to maybe start something new or build on something that they already have. And we'd like to learn from your experience. So what, what how, could, talk us through your, your rise to where you are now. And if you could maybe think about one or two key lessons that you learned along the way that maybe you wish you had done differently that uh, you would advise other people to, to do as they're on their journey. Yeah. Uh, well, that's a big question. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a big question. Uh, I, you know, in, in short, I, I guess I, I say a couple things is um, I, th- I always say that in the stage I am in my life, I feel like I'm a sophomore in high school. So, you know, in the States, we've got high school, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year. Uh, I feel like I'm in my sophomore year. Right. I don't even feel like I've hit junior year yet. So I still feel like I'm, I'm in the beginning of my career, but I also feel good about where I am now in my career. And I think when I look back at it, uh, one of the things that I've done is I've done multiple things, right? So, you know, I've, I've probably been working for about 15 years professionally. Started as an investment banker moved from investment banking to then basically managing money. I managed a portfolio for Enver Ujo, who you mentioned earlier. Then I got into acquisitions for Enver Ujo. Then from there, I opened up a, a, a large nonprofit organization in the U.S. Then from there, I became a matchmaker, which everyone was like, are you crazy for becoming a matchmaker, right? Um, got a chance to go to a, a top business school um, in the U.S., then from there pivoted and started a television career, right? You know, then went into journalism, you know, so I've done lots of different things. And one lesson I've learned is the importance of not being stagnant and the importance of being, uh, increasing your diversification of your career, right? In investments all the time, we talk about the importance of having a diversified portfolio, 
Mm-hmm. I think that we should look at our career the same way. We should have a diversified career because what it does is it allows us to literally connect with multiple social circles. It allows us to hone our skill sets, right? Mm-hmm. And what it does is it also allows us to come up with what I believe is the secret sauce to a strong personal brand. And that is being able to identify that being able to identify the cross-section, the uniqueness of a cross-section of of certain things. So for example, if I said, okay, quick, name somebody who has been in finance, um, television, uh, and is a matchmaker, right? Mm -hmm. I'm the only, like, you can't name anybody (laughs) else, right? It's me. But the beauty, though, is that if I could figure out how to then take that and leverage that uniqueness that then is something that is, you, you, can't, you can't duplicate that. You can't compete with that. That's something that, that is mine, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that, that's very strong from a personal brand standpoint. This, this, the kind of the second maybe big thing that I've learned along the way is humbling yourself to receive insight and information from others, right? And, and this is, this is part, like, part of me wanting to do this is so that I can learn from you mm. in particular, right? right? Okay. And so I think that is if, if, if we are all able to humble ourselves mm. and know that there is a lesson behind, everyone could teach us a lesson, right? right. I, my, my six-year-old teaches me every week. He's six, right? Mm. But he still teaches me. There's a lesson there. And so I think that's... um. You know, that's, that's, that's another big one for me is, is knowing that everyone can, t- every, everyone is a teacher and we have to humble ourselves to become that student. Wow. That, that is um, humbling for me to think that you thought that you could actually learn something from me. That's, um, yeah, that's kind of taken back a bit. Um, but you're right. I think there's a very key lesson in that. I think we have to always be willing to learn and find lessons. I think... Um, your story resonates with me a lot because I, I I don't know, you know, there's two ways of kind of looking at what you want to do in life. You know, there's those people who know exactly what they want to do and they just do it. And it's just that one thing, right? And there's that phrase, stay in your lane that people will bring up. Um, I'm not like that, you know, so I have, I, 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 I guess I, it's not that I just try my hand at different things. I feel that I maximize the skill sets that I have. So uh, I do uh, things in education technology. I'm an educator. Um, I also uh, learned and developed as an entrepreneur. So I want to facilitate helping other people do that. So in different circles, I'm known as different things. And I think that, you know, you taking this to the next level, you know, you, you, you've done this uh, extremely well. And I think, um, yes, it's, it's a very good example of the fact that it can work when you're not just sticking to one thing. Yeah, and if I could say something on that, is mm-hmm. that I believe that if you are ambitious, if anyone is watching this, one of the indicators to, 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 to really convey that you are truly ambitious is that you are always wanting to do that, right? Mm. You were, and, and here's, here's my story of that mm. is, so I worked for, I, I actually hosted a show for USA Today mm. uh, called Uncommon Drive, where okay. I interviewed the top entrepreneurs in the world, all right, to figure out 
what was driving them, right? Mm. Probably the most memorable interview was with the late Kobe Bryant. Okay. Mm. Here's how I started the interview. I said, Kobe, I'm envious of you. <laughs> right. And I said, the reason why I'm envious of you is because I believe that when you were a little boy, you knew what God put you on earth here to do. Mm. You knew that, that you were put on this earth to play basketball, right? Mm. This is, this is what you came into this earth to do, right? Mm. You, and, and you have done this at the high, the highest level, right? Mm. I was like, I'm, I'm envious because you knew what it was and you did it. Mm. And he looked at me and he said, Paul, no, you're wrong. I wasn't put on this earth to play basketball. He said, I was put on this earth to do what I'm doing right now. And he was at that time, he had just launched an investment firm. Okay. So you think about this, Kobe Bryant, perhaps <laughs> one of the greatest basketball players of all time said, no, no, no. I wasn't put on this earth to play basketball. I was put on this earth to do this other thing. Right. Wow. And, and I think this is something that I've seen time and time again with these phenomenal, you know, people who are ambitious at the next level is that they're constantly evolving. Mm -hmm. They're constantly evolving. Oprah Winfrey, many years ago was a journalist mm -hmm. who evolved into a talk show host, who evolved into uh, you know, the owner, the CEO of a network and entertainment company, who then like, you know, Enver Ugel, who you mentioned, mm -hmm. he was a math teacher who evolved into a small test prep company um, you know, owner, who evolved into, you know, the point there is that we have to continue to evolve. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so, so you saying that makes, to me, just tells me you are, you're, you're simply ambitious, which is right. good. Right. Oh, that's good to know. That's good to know. I um, try not to make any apologies about what I do, but sometimes it's difficult. <laughs> but things like, um, what you do and what I see others do, it really does encourage me. So thank you so much for your input. Um, I would like to ask though, how do you balance family life with all of the jobs that you do, all the roles that you have, especially on the fact that, um, you know, you're, you're a relationship guru, right? So I, I, want some, I want some nuggets now. So tell me how you balance uh, your family life and, and being so busy at the same time. All right. My, my take on that is, is you, you don't, there's no such thing as, as balance. You can only prioritize. That's it. And you have, and, and in my opinion, you have to prioritize knowing that you, things will fall off. Right. But if you are prioritizing, the important things will never fall off. So for me, family uh, is right at the top of the list. So mm -hmm. for example, I'm here with my family, right? I have a, my wife and I have a, have an agreement. That is if I work on a project that's over 10 days. So if I have to travel for over mm -hmm. 10 days, the entire family goes with me, the entire family. Right. And then we work around that, which is why we homeschool our boys because mm -hmm. there was no school that would allow us to dip in and dip out. Of course, right. Yeah. Um, so because I prioritize family, no matter how, what project I'm on, my projects know that I stop at a certain time because I have to eat dinner. When, when we were booking this, what yes. did I tell you? What, what yeah. did I mention to you? You told me straight away, you said you finished work at seven o'clock. And you know, I told my wife that same thing. As soon as I came off, she said, see? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but see, but but and I do that because I, I'm gonna go have dinner with my family every night. And so um I think it's about prioritizing. Now, that being said, are there days where maybe I have to I can't be here at seven o'clock because I'm doing something? Absolutely. But if on average out of the week, six out of the seven days, five out of the seven days, we're sticking to that, then I know that over the long haul, it's going to make a, a, a major impact. And most importantly, it's going to make a major impact on me because I think it's important for us going back to managing our relationships, romantic, platonic, professional, is you have to know what it is that you value and you must hold to that. In business all the time, I see people get into business values, but I could really make some money with them. Then why, 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 why would you do that? Because what you're doing is you're basically saying that you're willing to settle and you are willing to sacrifice your beliefs for the dollar. And what I've realized, and this is things that I've learned from Enver and Oprah and other folks, is that they don't, they don't get into business with people that they don't value. Because the people, they're, they're, you know what was actually really fascinating about them, and this connects with uh, prioritizing versus balancing, is I never saw Oprah and Enver take one day off. Never. And there's a big debate among, like, do you take days off? Like, is it no days off? Is it healthy or whatever? I never saw them take days off. Sometimes with, with Enver, because I worked with him for quite a long time, we could be on vacation in the Mediterranean on his yacht, right? Playing chess, just hanging out, right? On the boat. But guess what we're doing? We're still talking business. People are, they're flying people in on the helicopter, right? There's still, people are still coming in to, to talk business. There was never a day off. But what I realized is that they still prioritized their life. Mm. Enver always had his family with him, always. His family was always there with Oprah. You know, what was fascinating with Oprah is we would go around and host. She would host these, uh, they're called upfronts. So when you're selling a television show, you go around in different cities and you, you bring in all the advertisers. She would always bring in the advertisers, right? She would host these elaborate dinners, but at every dinner off to a table on the side were her girls, her girls, her girls are her girls from her, 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 uh, her school. Right. right. Um, and she would have her girl sitting at the table. Her boyfriend, Stedman, would always be at the table. She brought the family with her. Right. Mm -hmm. Because this was priority to her. And I think that what we have to do is, you know, we don't all have Oprah and, and Enver resources, mm -hmm. but we can do our best to set boundaries, little boundaries. So it could be, sorry. I can't be on a session past seven o'clock because I have to be with my family. Those little boundaries add up. So I say, know what you value, mm -hmm. set boundaries around what you value, and then prioritize those values. Mm. That, that is absolutely fantastic. Um, I'm definitely going to be coming back to this section on the recording and taking some serious notes. But I think that's very true. You know, just naturally, you've got an insight into you know, like you said, all the people that you've interviewed and these are very successful people. And it's just good to know that, you know, you don't have to compromise, you know, and just kind of, like you said, setting the priority. That's definitely something I'm not going to forget. Thank you so much for that. I want to move on to kind of talking about the scenario that we're in now. So naturally this pandemic is taking over the world. 
I don't think there's a country that's not affected by it right now. And I know that you do a lot of work um, helping entrepreneurs and um, mentoring uh, people. So I just wanted to know what you think or what you feel is um, key advice uh, for entrepreneurs uh, during this time. What do you feel people should be focused on? Should they be prioritizing specific things during this time? Uh, where do you feel the opportunities are uh, and, and what do you th- feel is the best course of action for people who are in, in business? You, you know what's incredible is literally uh, yesterday, mm. I did a whole one hour lockdown live session uh, on this exact topic yeah. uh, because I, I feel like you can look at the negative of where we are right now, but you can also look at the opportunities. I, I feel like there are enormous opportunities right now for what I call micro entrepreneurs, right? Very small entrepreneurs, as well as those seeking to build a brand. Enormous opportunities. Um, and I actually listed 10 and went into detail on the 10, but I'll, I'll give you just a few right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so first, and this is actually in no particular order, what we're doing right now, so social networking, self-development education is definitely something that we all could be doing right now, right? On the social networking side, never has there been a time in our lifetime, or should I say a better time in our lifetime, to reach out and connect with someone. Because everyone is sitting at home connected to their mobile, connected to their laptop. So if you sent anybody, you sent Michael Jordan, right, uh, 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 an inbox message on LinkedIn, chances are there's a higher likelihood that Michael Jordan is going to read it today versus a year ago or versus a year from now. Mm -hmm. So this is the time to begin to reach out, but it's important when you're reaching out that you know how to do it, right? So a large part of that is reaching out and figuring out how you can add value. Mm. how you can help to move someone closer to their goal instead of trying to just ask, ask, ask. So social networking, very important, right? Very important right now. This is all, we should, we should all be doing this. Self-development, right? We should all be doing this. Everybody who's watching this is a part of self-development. I think creating success habits is also something we all can be doing, right? Mm. I'm sure you've read like Charles Duhigg's book on habits. Um, you, uh, James Clear wrote Atomic Habit, right? If you read any of these books on habits, you'll see that they all pretty much profess that it takes about 60, 66 days, depending on who you are, to build a habit, right? It's about repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. This is the time. We are all going to be locked down, no matter where you are in the world, for probably another two to three months two or three months. So we have the time right now to build those success habits. And then, and one of the top habits I think entrepreneurs need to have is the ability to plan for their next morning the night before. It's something that seems very minor, but it makes all the difference in the world, right? So the night before, you should plan for your next morning. You should know what you're going to wear the night before. You should know what you're going to eat in the morning the night before. You should know what you're going to do in the morning. Is it meditating? Are you going to go to the gym, right? I'm so anal. I I literally, I'm so anal about knowing what I'm going to do. Like when I go to the gym in the morning, I like 90s R&B. I like Jodeci. I like some Drew Hill, right? I like some 90s R&B. I'll plan my playlist the night before so that when I wake up, I am just on 
autopilot. I'm on autopilot. Now, why do I do that? Why do I think, you know, the successful entrepreneurs do that? It's because we only have a certain amount of decision-making capacity. Everyone suffers decision fatigue. Everybody does. And so the most important thing that you could do out of your day as an entrepreneur is focus your decision-making power on the big questions, on the big decisions, not on the do my shoes match my, my shirt, right? Oh my. Or my, I'm sorry, y'all say my trainers match my jumper, right? All that, yeah. like, you know, it's, it's like, th those, those, are, those are minor. So build success habits. There's lots of success, success habits. But as an entrepreneur, I think a big one is planning the night ahead for your next morning so that you can focus your decision-making capacity on the big decisions. So these are, these are little things, success habits, social networking, self-development. These are things that we could be doing right now as entrepreneurs so that when we're out of the quarantine, we'll be much better. Fantastic. That, that is um, great advice. And um, what I will do for everybody's attending, I'll drop a link to your social uh, media where you have a recording of yesterday's session um, and everybody can hear the full, the full list and all the details. Um, but thanks so much for sharing. I think it's so true. I think that building habits, I think breaking out of habits, I think is the biggest step. And it comes, like you said, through that repetitive focus and just uh, mundane repeating repetition. But um, yeah, thank you so much for, for that advice. I want to ask you, I guess we, we always hope this is the main thing that keeps us waking up in the morning. Our drive is the hope of something better. Um, and in this position now, we're faced with a lot of negative news. And, and, and there's literally two camps of people right now, those who you know, are suffering and those people who are thriving. What do you feel the future holds for business, for entrepreneurs beyond this time? So when the lockdown is over, when the epidemic has passed, um, what do you feel the future holds? And also, how would you advise those people who are maybe feeling a bit down and not, haven't been as active and maybe they just need a bit of motivation to get into that position where they're thriving? Um, so that's a two-part question. What do you feel the future holds? And how do you feel people should be focused or where their, where their attention should be during this time? Yeah, um, I think these are two great questions. So the first lockdown live that I did uh, maybe two weeks ago was on this exact topic, was on how business economies are shifting and will forever change as a result of the pandemic. And I think this is something that we have to fundamentally understand is going to change forever. There are going to be hundreds of thousands of businesses that will not come back. And the reason why they're not going to come back is because we're going to move into a post-coronavirus economy, which is all about efficiency. We're going to be the most efficient business operators that we have ever seen. All the fat is going to be cut. Automation is going to be everything, right? Also, what you're seeing right now is you're seeing people acclimating to, dis to, to doing business at a distance, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, there are now millions of people who have never ordered their groceries online who have now just started ordering their groceries online. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. What's going to happen post pandemic? Are they going to go back to walking to their local uh, grocery store? Or are they going to continue online? Mm. They're going to continue online. So that wipes out a whole industry, right? This is going to happen over and over and over in business. You look at online education, online education is soaring, right? Look at zoom, the platform that we're on right now. Do you know that when zoom launched, I was one of the first 100 beta testers. Oh, wow. Years and years and years ago. I was one of the first. <laughs> I remember people saying, I don't even know what Zoom is. I remember when Zoom went public and everyone laughed at the stock. Wow. Nobody's laughing right now. <laughs> Nobody's <laughs> laughing at Zoom right now, right? <laughs> and what's happening is, is every online platform, Zoom, StreamYard, everyone, right? They are taking off. And so you're seeing new industries emerge. You're seeing older industries collapse. And so right now, it's very important if you're an entrepreneur to be, to be aware of the changing landscape and to know that, um, it, you know, that, that, that we're, we're basically going to live in a different world. And, and another thing, too, is for all my friends who are social media influencers and all of this stuff and make their money off of this, almost all of that is going away. CPM rates today have dropped to the lowest they've, they've, they've ever been, right? All of that is going away. Live events, right? Live events will forever change, forever change. In my opinion, what was happening is, as you saw, we were trending towards uh, massive events, massive music festivals, right? We, we were, um, uh, I just interviewed uh, Smade uh, with, uh, with uh, Afro Nation, right? And he was talking about the event, the event growth, the, the, the event growth that he's having. And what I think is going to now happen is you're going to see a movement toward, towards intimacy and intimate events, right? Much smaller events. And that changes the, that changes the event business, right? So there's so much that's going to change fundamentally. Now, with, with regard to your question of what we need to be doing, I think all of us need to have three sets of people in our lives. And this is something that I also picked up from a lot of the uh, more successful entrepreneurs that I've interviewed. There's three sets of people. I think you need to have people who are aspirational, inspirational and motivational. And there's a big difference between each of those three. Aspiration is someone in your life that has already achieved what you were attempting to achieve. Right. And if you can't have that person in your life, at least follow them on Instagram, right? On LinkedIn, right? Is that you want to be receiving that content whether that be from a, a social post, a phone call, a podcast, right? But you want to be receiving this, this incoming content from someone or groups of people who have already achieved what you are attempting to achieve. That's aspiration. Then there's inspiration. Inspiration, that's the group of people who are on the same path as you. They are traveling the same road. They want the same thing. So they're hungry. And they're not toxic, so they want to work with you, right? So they want to go. So actually, right now, I could tell you and I, we're at probably everybody on this panel, we're all on the same journey, right? So we all can inspire each other, right? We're all on the same journey. Then there's motivation, right? The motivation, that's coming from the folks who are on the sideline cheering us on. 
right? They may not be on the same journey. They may be on a different journey, but they are cheering us on. They are trying to push us forward, right? Mm -hmm. If you have motivation, you have inspiration, you have aspiration, and you cut out all of the toxic, mm. all of the toxic, mm. whether that's toxic TV, and I, and, I, and, I, and I say that in all honesty, knowing that I'm on a reality show that some people say is toxic here in the UK, right? <laughs> but whether that's toxic TV, toxic uh, music, toxic whatever, remove the toxicity out of your life. Successful people don't hang on to what is toxic for long. Boom, move that out. And you move in as much inspiration, aspiration, and motivation as possible. You will be good. Mm. You will be good, right? You will be good. So that's what I think people that we all could be doing right now. Fantastic. Aspiration, motivation, inspiration. That's, that's amazing. Um, there was a point that you made I really want to pick up on, and that is when you talk about cutting out toxicity and stopping the negative coming in. Um, and the, the aspect of that that I want to talk about, and maybe you could give a response to this, is those people who pick up tox toxicity where it's not there. Okay, so sometimes there are negative factors that will come in to play, etc. But you know, with life, there's two ways of looking at like a cup. Uh, a plug there for Arsenal, but um, you, you can look at this cup as half full or half empty. Well, it's fully empty now, but if, if it had liquid, like this one here, so we can look at this as half full or half empty. And I think sometimes in life, um, there are people who can be sensitive. I think we all we all can be in different scenarios, right? So there are times when we could pick up negativity where it's actually not there by assuming what other people think of what it is we're doing or what we're trying to do. Um, do you ever have uh, those types of uh, thoughts? Or if, if so, how do you feel people should deal with it? Wait, so, and just so I understand what you're saying, you're saying that mm -hmm. we all have negativity in life, but, but the question is, is how? Yeah, so it's how do people kind of cut off? So what I would say is I'd describe it as external and internal toxicity, right? So the negativity could come from outside and somebody could say things that is contrary to what you want to do. You, and you can cut those things out. You cut them out, cut out people, stop communicating with people, etc. But sometimes in your own mind, you can pick up things maybe because someone has done something or they haven't done something, um, maybe because they've looked at you in a certain way, you feel, oh, that's because of this. And you're kind of giving yourself negative energy as opposed to um, just focusing on the good side of it. Do you understand? All right, I, I, I feel you. All right, so I'm going to say something that a lot of people are not gonna, going to agree with me on right now. So I'm going to lose a lot of friends on this, but I'm, but I'm going to keep it 1,000 with you, is... I believe that if someone or something doesn't, you don't aspire to it, right? It doesn't inspire you or it doesn't motivate you. Unless it is your children, mm -hmm. you remove it out of your life, including friends and family members. So there are family members that I have that I don't talk to. If they call me, I'm not picking up the phone. They send me a text. 
I don't reply back. I literally, my grandmother just passed away. I was just in the States a month ago for her funeral. There were family members there that I hadn't talked to since the, I'm sorry, that I hadn't seen since the last funeral. And we didn't even, we didn't even hug each other. Now, a lot of people will say, that's cold-blooded, Paul. You shouldn't do that. My point is, I don't have time for any level of toxicity, even if they are blood-related. I just don't have time for it. So that's how I, that's how I believe we should operate. If, and that includes coworkers. You know, I think one of the biggest sources of toxicity, you know, the number, it's interesting, the people we spend the most time with are actually our coworkers. That's the reason why you have to ensure that you're not in a toxic environment. And if you are, you have to remove yourself from it, right? So I, I think it, for me, it's, it, that's my litmus test. If you don't fit one of those three, I literally will just stop talking to you. I just won't, I'll just stop talking to you. That's, that's how I operate. I think there's some, there's some solid food in there that people might need to chew on. You know? <laughs> but I think, you know, it really is, it's such a hindrance when you're trying to move forward and you're actually stopping to entertain the negativity. It really is a hindrance. And I think unless you take drastic steps, you'll be forever held back. Um, so I think there's a lot of truth in that. Um, I've just seen some questions come in. Some people are, are, are typing some questions in here in the chat box. We have a question here from Lee, and he is asking, how do you develop in-depth knowledge, build community and opportunity if you're crossing different industries in your career? Wow, Lee, that's an intense question, Lee. That's a, <laughs> that's, that's a, that's a great one. Well, so here's the beauty. The beauty is that one of the best books I've ever read in my life is called So Good They Can't Ignore You. It's written by Cal Newport. And Cal Newport was a professor at uh, my business school, Georgetown University in the States. And what Cal Newport wrote in this book, this theory that he, he put forward is that if you can become the best in the world at a particular skill, a particular arena, then you will make more money, you will have more autonomy, and you will have more impact than any other thing that you could do in the world, right? You'll, so you have, so, so think about this. So you go back to the Kobe example, right? He became one of the best basketball players in the world. So therefore he made a lot of money. Mm -hmm. He had massive impact and he controlled his time. Mm -hmm. So if you look at anyone who fits those three, lots of money, lots of impact, they control their time. They are typically the top in the world at something. But connecting to Lee's question, what Cal has found is that as we go on year after year after year, right, you the uniqueness of the skill has to increase. And, and the key is, is that you want to have an intersection of multiple skills. But in order to gain the, in, the knowledge that Lee is talking about is that you have to actually go um, master that skill in that particular arena. So for example, the skills that I think I have is, one is I think I'm good with analytics, analytical skill. I think I'm, um, I'm trying to be as good as I can with communication. Now, the analytical skill, I had to acquire that by being in the investment banking industry for several years, going to business school, right? So I had to go into that arena and acquire that particular skill. And I still, to this day, hone that skill. 
Then separately on the communication front, I started in television 10 years ago, brand new. I'd never studied communication and had to develop. I had to go to classes. I had to learn, write tone and speak and all these things. So I had to develop that separately. Mm. So I had to develop those skills in separate arenas. But it's when I bring those skills together, that becomes my superpower. Your uniqueness is your superpower, right? So I ho hopefully that answers it for Lee, right? You have to go to those separate arenas, but when you do, and you can become best in the world, you'll have phenomenal impact, phenomenal autonomy, and you'll have substantial wealth. That's fantastic. That's a great answer. And um, okay, Lee says brilliant response. I get it. <laughs> so. All right, good, good stuff, Lee. Good stuff. Great question. That's a great question. Mm. Um, we have another one here from Crystal, one of our panelists. She's asking, what advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, man. I love that question. Uh, so I would say don't drink as much. <laughs> uh, stop drinking, man. Put the red stripe down, right? That's, that's one thing I would say. Um, so um, uh, a couple things, a couple things. One is I would say do this more. One of the things that I do, I try not to say regret, but if I could go back and tell my younger self, I was really confident in myself in my early stages, and I was also shy. So what that led me to do is not connect. Like I was never a, a part of a fraternity. I was never, I kind of was just off to myself. And what was interesting is I realized that going back and talking to like a lot of people who went to my college, they were like, oh yeah, Paul, we, we kind of thought you were stuck up, right? We thought that you didn't want to have anything to do with us because, because of, but it, it wasn't that. It was just that I think I was just, I was scared to actually make that connection. I was scared to be vulnerable, to say, you know what, I do need help in A, B, or C, or sure, I would like, I, I can't humble myself to sit and listen to you. And so, um, what I've been trying to do over the years is to be better at connecting with others, to be better at giving my time and my energy. So to my younger self, I would say do that because I found that over the years by doing that, it's helped to propel me. I mean, I am in London today. So, you know, I'll tell you, I haven't told any, this is actually, I haven't mentioned this at all, but I'll- It's exclusive. It's exclusive. Oh, fantastic. So I host a TV show here, Celebs Go Dating, mm -hmm. but I actually am also filming another t TV show that's going to be on a, even maybe you can call it a, a bigger channel here mm -hmm. uh, that'll debut in the fall, right? Okay. And all of these opportunities came about because about 10 years ago, I, through a, through a, a connection, um, I started coming over here to London to do little like talks, to give, you know, uh, give these little, these, these events. But the point there is that I reached out, right? I was actively trying to build my social network and that has now begotten these opportunities. So long story short, I would definitely be more focused on expanding my social network earlier on. Right. Okay. Yeah. Another good question. Fantastic. I'll take one more question. I know it's approaching the, the, the time for you to start working. So I'll take one more question from the audience. One is from uh, Patrick and he's asking, is now a good time to launch a crowdfunding campaign? Yeah, no, nah. 
nobody has money. <laughs> nobody has money, man. No, it's not, it's not a good time to try to raise money when nobody has money. Um, so here's the thing. The people don't have money. The people don't have money. Uh, but, you know, um, I, I know a lot of investors and they're, they're, still, they're actively investing right now because valuations are, are, are going down. But if you're talking about a crowdfunding, no. Man, pe people right now are concerned about what they're going to eat next week. So they're not going to readily give up that money. However, crowdfunding campaigns only work when you have a crowd, when you have an audience. So what you want to do right now is now is a great time to begin to build your audience. A matter of fact, it's never been a better time in the history of the world to build an audience because everybody's online. So if you could come up with the right content, put that content out, then what you'll find is that your audience, your platform will build. And then in maybe three months, six months, when, when, when the economy is stronger, then you can go out and raise your money. Fantastic. I think Patrick maybe anticipated that you may have said that. He said he was afraid that you'd say that. So. <laughs> I think he kind of knew, but he was trying to check. Yeah. Trying to check. Patrick, I got you though. I got you. I, I, at least one pound I'll put into your crowdfunding campaign. You can do it. I got, I got one, man. I got one. <laughs> Paul, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate everything that you've shared tonight. Um, I don't know if you've got any final thoughts, any final message to people who are uh, part of this session, uh, but I'd like to thank you so much uh, for everything that you shared tonight. Um, maybe you could also share your uh, social media links as well so that people can reach out to you on, online. Sure, absolutely. I mean, well, one is, is big up, man, to you. Thank you very much uh, for this opportunity. Uh, most of the talks I do are, are with folks in the, in the U.S. Uh, or in Jamaica. So this is always, uh, this is just really cool. So I appreciate it. Uh, I am all about trying to support right now with no agenda. Like, really, I'm trying to support with no agendas. I believe in giving, giving, giving. So anybody watching this, if there's, if there's anything you believe I can do to support you, reach out to me. I'm at Paul C. Brunson on all the platforms. Uh, PaulCBrunson.com is my website. Paul C. Brunson on Instagram. Paul C. Brunson on LinkedIn. Uh, Paul C. Brunson on, on Facebook. Um, and I'm very straight up. Like if you reach out and say, hey, can you help with A, B, or C? I won't like, I, I noticed in the UK, this is one thing I've noticed about the UK is folks are never straight up with you. <laughs> Everybody is just like, they, they smile, they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but they're not straight up. I was born in New York, I'm straight up. Like you say, hey, let's do A, B, or C. I'll say, yeah, let's do it. Or I'll say, no, no, I can't do that, right? Uh -huh. So reach out to me and, and if I could do something for you, I'll definitely do something for you. And if I can, I can't. Um, but I wish you all the best and big up, big up to everybody. Paul, thank you so much, sir, for joining us. We really appreciate it. And that's it for this episode of Tuesday Night Live Archives, aka The Lost Interviews. Be sure to check out the channel as more interviews are released. The archive has lots in store. And do not forget to grow your potential.